am Steve Bogner, Managing Partner of Insight Consulting Partners, and welcome to the SAP HCM Insights Podcast. Today I have a, a great crew as always with me. Uh, we've got Sven Ringling, Luke Marston, and Brandon Toombs. Hey guys, how you doing? Hello. Hey, Steve. Uh, well, it's uh, been an interesting week, and uh, I think we have some interesting topics for the podcast here. So um, we are not going to focus on any one topic on this podcast. This is called a bring your own topic. And, um, you know, so we'll spend, you know, five or six, seven minutes on each topic and kind of talk about it and challenge each other and, uh, you know, hopefully deliver some good content to our listeners. Um, just a quick reminder. Doubtful. doubtful. Yeah. <laughs> doubtful. Well, anyway, we'll talk. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just a reminder, you can access the podcast from insightcp.com slash insights. Um, you can get it on, uh, on Google Play. You can get it on Apple's iTunes as a podcast. You can do an RSS reader, a um, number of different things there. So uh, we'll, we'll get started here in a little bit. But before we get started, I'd like to sort of, um, I'll just get readers up to date on a few things that... Uh, the team has been up to. So Brandon, you've recently started a newsletter, right? Based on Employee Central. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, real briefly, I just started a newsletter that, that comes out weekly. Uh, it's called Employee Central Intelligence. And all it is, is just a summary of the week's news in Employee Central. Uh, what I found is I was, uh, as I was uh, doing my own research, there was just a, there's a lot of information that comes out every week on the subject, uh, having to do with notes, having to do with enhancements, having to do with blogs, as well as all the quarterly release stuff. And so I just started a newsletter. It's free. Just go to employeecentralintelligence.com. You can sign up and uh, you'll get uh, an, an email from me uh, once a week. That's Great. it. Awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love your newsletter. It's really good. Um, I find it educational and it's, you know, and it's, it's not super long. It just, you, you have it at a good length. So good job on that. Um, Thank you. Luke, you've got some things going on too. What do you have going on? Yeah, I'm, um, I've just committed the next six months of my life to be sitting at a computer for what will probably be 24 hours a day, seven days a week. <laughs> um, as I try to fit in a third edition of the SAP Success Factors HCM Suite book with SAP Press, um, Amy Grubb and myself will be um, revising that edition. It's, believe it or not, been four years since the last edition, um, oh, wow. which yeah, it's crazy how much time has gone by since the second edition came out. So we're very excited to be providing updates, um, new new features, new functionalities, and, and also changing the book a little bit. You, you know, when we first wrote that book, it was, you know, at a time when not many people were that familiar with what SaaS is and cloud computing concepts and things like that. And even with success factors, it was it was totally new to the SAP community at the time. So we're taking um, a new angle at how we approach the book. So it'll have much of the same content, but we're going to restructure some of it. We're going to add some new content. We're going to take some content out because there are a lot more books from SAP Press on those as well um, and try and streamline it, streamline it to make it a, a really good introduction book to any customers, consultants, whoever, who are looking at getting an intro to the Success Factor Suite. So um, we're hoping it's going to be um, 
more than just adding in new features and functionality that have come out since the last time we did a book and you know, we're always trying to add value when we redo these. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the one, um, the one thing. The second one is um, that uh, along with um, Satish Baji and uh, Dries uh, Smith, um, I will be working on an employee central payroll introduction e-byte with SAP Press as well. Nice. So around about a hundred page um, uh, digital book that can be purchased from the SAP Press um, website. So um, in terms of timing for both of those, the e-bytes I believe will be out sometime in uh, the first quarter of next year, probably on January, February. And I believe that the the Success Fighters book will be around about the June timeframe. Nice. You're going to be busy. Good luck with that. Uh, yes, that's my, my Christmas. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I am actually going to be doing some things coming up here in November, um, along with uh, Mike Tim, who I think some of our podcast listeners know because we've had him on the podcasts once or twice. But Mike Tim and I are going to be presenting a two-day payroll seminar with SAP Insider. Um, first week it's going to be first week in November. It'll be, will be up in Chicago. And then last week of November down in Orlando. So if you're interested in those, you can go to the SAP Insider site and, you know, do a search for me or for Mike Tim and you'll find it. And, you know, I uh, would love to have you out there uh, if you're interested in uh, SAP payroll. And uh, we, we're going to, you know, Mike and I, we're going to dig into the details and get down into the bowels of payroll and talk about that. We're also going to talk about, you know, what do your future options for payroll look like in, in light of where SAP is going? So looking forward to that. That'll be fun. Yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm sure it's going to be like a rock concert type type event. So everybody should <laughs> definitely want to participate in that. Exactly. I will be giving out autographs. You know, just uh, I'll bring my marker. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, okay, so let's get this going now. Um, like I said, it's, it's bring your own topic, and uh, Luke, we're going to start with you. So. What's the topic that you have that you want to discuss and uh, talk to all of us about and uh, educate our listeners on? Thanks, Steve. So I'm really interested in the SAP Copilot feature, um, which SAP been working on across um, across uh, most of their um, SAP applications and cloud applications in particular. But I want to talk about this obviously um, from an SAP success factors perspective. Um, you know, the SAP Copilot, um, just to give a little bit of a, of a background to our listeners, is a digital assistant. Um, it's a bit of a chatbot-based chat assistant. So it basically enables users in the system to launch a digital assistant and then ask questions so you know what is my leave balance or you know how can I uh, how can I make a benefits claim mm-hmm. or I need to make a I need to transfer one of my employees to a different department and the digital assistant can then give you feedback and on that and, you know answer the questions or give you information or whatever uh, whatever else um, you know and 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 using more natural humanized conversational uh, type text so it's almost like talking to somebody um in the background um 
So is this and, kind of like Siri for uh, the SAP platform? Uh, yeah, I guess that's uh, I guess that's one way to put it. Yeah, I was just curious. Yeah, I, yeah. Sven, I know, has got a lot of interest in 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 some of these solutions, and and he was um, he was part of a team that built a a similar thing actually for success factors recruiting. Um, so I, I know that uh, Brandon, you've seen some of this functionality when we were at the Success Factors um, influencer event earlier in the year. Um, so I'd, I'd love to get some thoughts on the team about just how useful this might be, how valuable this could be to customers, uh, and some of the potential that we might see coming out of SAP with this type of solution. Um, you know, uh, going forward. Yeah, so I'll, I'll jump in. Um, I will be very interested. I'm, I'm, I am waiting until we can actually see some uh, more tangible um, uh, delivery on when this is going to come out because, uh, of course, it, it it's, looks really good, but we, we need to see more than just thought leadership. We want to see how it's going to work on a practical level. And um, I have not heard, I don't know, Luke, have you heard anything about when this uh, – when we might see some of this uh, co-pilot functionality actually delivered? Um, I haven't, I don't believe I've seen anything in terms of um, actual delivery dates, but it's something that SAP have functionality that we, as I've said that we've seen. So it is something that is in development um, and is getting prepared for release, but as, as to when, that is exactly going to be available. I'm I'm probably as much in the dark as you are. Okay. Well, I I will say this, and I've told I've told different people this. I I'm skeptical, uh, just because I and I am a huge Google Home user. I've got and I use it constantly. I've got them in just about every room. Um, I won't say the wake word now, or I would. Uh, you could hear the the Google Assistant in my background. Um, but and I feel like that. Google still doesn't get that process right in a lot of term, in a lot of times as far as uh, being able to have really natural language interaction, um, both just voice based as well as text based. And if if I'm, I have no doubt that that's the future, and we're going there. Um, I'm excited about it, uh, but I think it's really more like three or four years away before that becomes really useful, where someone could be able to use a chatbot to really go in. Um, and have a, a, an engrossing conversation um, with them about why their pay statement doesn't look right. And, you know, based on that, I would say, you know, if, if it were me, I would uh, be pushing more towards having really super simple intuitive apps, which they do. They're working on that as well. But, I, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm just kind of waiting, thinking maybe this is a couple of years away from really being useful uh, for most customers. Uh, I, I want to jump in too. Um, as Luke mentioned, we, we've played with uh, chatbots around recruiting, which was a, a third-party chatbot, and, and we built the integration with SuccessFactors recruiting. And uh, what I took away from that is that uh, if a chatbot is is designed for a very particular job, they're actually quite good at understanding natural language. The big question is of how much intelligence do you allow them to apply? So whether you really give them a script and want them to stick to it and give them buzzwords to respond to, that's easy. And they have been able to do this for years. 
or whether you basically allow them to read your own job descriptions and answer questions from the candidate on that basis, which they are also quite good at, but they might not always say what you would like them to say um, because they are still learning. Um, but I think that the one thing is how good are they? When, when are we allowing them to do it? When they are 90% uh, accurate or 99 or 99.9? And the, the other question is about letting go and, and um, do we do we want them to be completely honest? Is think <laughs> one generation ahead? Um, if the chatbot really analyzes all the data and, and creates their own conclusions. And then you ask them for leave in December. Do you want the chatbot to tell the employee, yeah, you have enough leave on your account, but I may warn you that generally people who take leave in December have worse performance reviews in January because they get this from the data. <laughs> and you might not want them to share this with employees. Um, that, that's a good point. So it's so, interesting yeah, challenges. It's, yeah, I mean, there's some, some ethical things and there's some policy things. I can, you know, definitely see that, you know, some companies that I've worked with, their policies are really complex and complicated, and and I don't know how well that would be able to be, you know, coming interpreting an employee's request and then figuring out the correct response in a complex environment like that could be really challenging. But you know, um, ten years ago, I thought it was really challenging to have the iPhone that I have today. So you know, the technology is is going to be there. It's just a matter of time. And I think, you know, SAP getting started on it now is is a wise move um, because, you know, you have to start now in order to have a product when the, the technology is is advancing like that. Um, I'm just not sure. I, I, I don't know. I haven't heard a lot of demand from my customer base for um, natural language processing sort of chatbots. Um, maybe you guys have, but um, again, it could be that, uh, you know, just due to the, I, I think it's the consensus, like you said, Brandon, that it's going to be in more demand in the future. You got to start working on it now. So I, I guess maybe that's the reason. Um, but yeah, it's probably going to be a while. It, it, do we know that this would uh, leverage SAP's mach machine learning technology too, right? Seems like it would. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. That's another hot topic. Yeah, so I guess maybe eventually, you know, if the chatbots are good enough, um, we won't need Luke to write any more books because you'll just ask the chatbot and it'll figure it out. <laughs> that would make my life easier. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's very interesting. So, um, Sven, what, what do you have that you want to talk about um, for this podcast? Well, I, I come with a very non-technical topic. Or obviously, it's got a technology link, uh, but to begin with, it, it's not. Um, and that's uh, inclusion or diversity or whatever word you want to use for it. Basically, in, inspired from a conference I uh, attended last week, organized uh, by the Country School of Management and hosted by HSBC in, in London. And was a very inspiring event going through all elements of inclusion. So starting with uh, gender equality, going into uh, LGBT, ethnicity, age, uh, 
disability, um, really covering all the aspects. And the one thing that really struck me was that there are a lot of organizations out there who take this topic really seriously, starting with the, the people who actually presented some of these sessions. So we had the, the chairman of Sainsbury's, which is one of the top five UK supermarkets. Uh, we had the group COO of HSBC uh, presenting a session, and you could really see that he is, is not just talking about it, he was in this program on a day-to-day -day basis, driving it. Um, uh, so a few very senior people, um, and I think one of the core messages was that there really there are no excuses why you should not uh, work on it. Uh, everybody we talked to basically said the business case is a no-brainer. There's so many research about uh, diverse teams making better decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, there's so much research that you're, it's good for your business if you reflect the community to you work in and work for in in your workforce, but also in your leadership team. There's lots of research that companies are missing out on top talent uh, if if voluntarily or, or maybe even without knowing they do it, excluding certain groups. So I think they all said that the business case is absolutely no brainer. The question is how how to do it, and um, it seems it seems a really big task to have to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, but there, there was one session presented by the CEO of Atnams, which is a UK brewery, um, which is one of the business where you should think it's probably most difficult to make sure that you have uh, achieved uh, gender equality. And they managed to achieve 40% women on the board and uh, SVP level uh, through a few years program. So if, if you can achieve in the brewery business, you should be able to achieve it in technology or in, in financial services as well. Mm -hmm. So the, basically I was thinking about, okay, so this whole initiative of business beyond bias and uh, driving diversity that, that success factors has been promoting for the last two or three years, I think. Um, there's really a lot of demand in the market and, and the organizations are hungry for technology to help them. So whether this is analytics, where we already have tools like SAP payroll is, is supporting the analytics for the uh, the gender gender pay gap reporting that's a legal requirement in the UK now. Um, we have the uh, the legal check that that spots biased language in in performance management in recruiting. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that there's still a lot more that can be done, um, particularly checking checking for gender bias based on analytics. So it, it seems like that, that which SAP is talking about it and starts providing mm -hmm. tools and organizations have these initiatives and invest. They still don't seem to to connect the two very often. Uh, say, okay, we have this problem. Uh, can we use this technology to help? Uh, or, or maybe is it us? Do we have to make customers more aware of that there's another uh, in other topics, the, the software can help them. So when they start talking about compliance, they're all on about GDPR, but actually uh, the 
whole diversity agenda. We can help with compliance there as well. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting, Sven, you know, a, a couple of the, th- the things you mentioned have been compliance related, right? Like um, the gender pay gap in the UK and um, the one you just mentioned, and I just forgot, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, I think that it's it's a matter of companies have to commit to this first. And then I think the you know, once they commit to the concept that diversity is good for a business, then, you know, they can match up HR processes to monitor, support, and drive that. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I'm, I'm not optimistic on technology driving it the other way because um, I, I'm a believer that, you know, you have to go after the human behavior first and then have the technology to support that. Um, but, you know, I also acknowledge with technologies, particularly mobile technology, you can do things there to nudge people in a certain direction, right? There's a whole field of research based on nudging people, you know, uh, sort of discreetly towards certain goals. Um, so maybe there's something there, but, um, you know, I, I think it, it starts with leadership first. And, um, you know, that's that's sort of my, my take on it. I would love to see that happen more and more. Um, I think it's, um, I think we'll probably see more compliance, right? More regulation in this area. And I think that's probably gonna be a good thing towards um, driving that adoption. But that's That's just my perspective on it. I will say I've seen some requirements uh, come across uh, for this topic, so it, it is not completely lost in the marketplace. I'm I'm not an analytics guy, so I think that a lot of it's getting pushed into that area uh, these days. But I, I also do think that there's a lot of uh, people that that have the kind of mindset that that Sven's talking about it at. at at a lot of companies where they are really pursuing diversity goals for not just because it's the right thing to do, but also for, for business performance reasons. But many times those people aren't going to necessarily have connected the dots that the technology um, from a company like uh, success factors uh, has a role to play in that. And that, and that success factors has really been, been uh, quite frankly, a leader in that area. Mm. Uh, they've been, they, they were really very heavily into di- uh, diversity, particularly gender diversity long before the me too movement. So, you know, they, they've definitely uh, been on the right side of this and it, and it's a, just another example of, um, you know, where, where success factors, I, I will say success factors in the SAP in, in general really do uh, think a lot about important topics such as diversity and such as, uh, environmental awareness and, and trying to, uh, you know, deal with consumption issues as well. So, you know, this is just really falls into that initiative. It's just a matter of, uh, the marketplace kind of catching up. Yeah. And, and, and it's first another thought too, um, you know, we all work on teams and, you know, with our customers and with each other and, you know, everything happens through teams and the sort of work we do, we, we can't do it all on our own, but you know, how much thought do we put into diversity when we're constructing our engagement team for a customer's project, right? I mean, sometimes it's based on just um, who's available, who has the skills to do it. And we don't even get to really think much about diversity because there's not that many people with the skills to do this. And um, and then also how much of this work that we do these days is remote too. So when you have remote teams, um, it seems like the diversity benefit might be 
sort of uh, muted a little bit there because you're not working face-to-face in person all the time. I don't know, just a couple of thoughts. Yeah, I think that's an interesting aspect because on the on the one hand side, yeah, it's not as obvious on the yeah. remote team. On the other hand, the as we believe that diversity of backgrounds brings in a diversity of thinking, you still need that whether it's remote or not. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the big topics that came up, uh, particularly on on gender equality, but also around uh, inclusion of disabled people, is that. Um, a more flexible way of working, whether it's uh, flexibility of time or flexibility of location, does actually um, also um, make it easier. Uh, because just traditionally, it's still the case that women are more likely to work part time. Mm-hmm. So they basically said you need to need to challenge this thought that leadership automatically equates full time. You can have part time leaders. Um, and then the, those organizations also um, manage to have more diversity in the leadership teams. Interesting. Great thoughts on that, Sven. Thanks. So, Brandon, you're up next. Um, what do you have that you want to share with the with the team and with the listeners? Yeah. So, so my topic is one that that has kind of come up um, recently, but it's it's one that has been kind of a trend over time, and that is just the idea of speed of implementation being really kind of the main uh, uh, success criteria that, that people are utilizing. So they will, you know, a lot of times when, when customers are touting, you know, that we were successful uh, and we got, we got our system in in eight months and everything's great. Um, and a lot of times, you know, speaking to someone who works with customers all the time, I, I don't what I see as far as how we come up with successful implementation, sometimes uh, going faster isn't necessarily the right way to go um, because so much of the drivers of the duration of a project really don't have to do with how quickly can we get the bells and whistles set up on the solution uh, in, in the quickest way possible. A lot of the, a lot of the processes um, that go go into implementations really just take time, and they have to do with number one the decision making process at a company. Um, do you you know how much are you engaging different areas of the company and different stakeholders? That takes time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one area of it. Uh, and another is just different types of testing. And really, the key one I would kind of call out is uh, Steve something in your wheelhouse, which is parallel testing. Uh, parallel testing is something that that just there's just no way to shortcut that. For those of you that uh, maybe aren't familiar with the concept, the idea is that we're going to uh, run payroll in your legacy environment. Then we will run payroll in the new environment, in in this case, maybe an EC payroll system. And we're going to compare the results and we're going to analyze each of those paychecks individually so that we can explain away any differences or and then and then make adjustments to this to the system as we go um, to do that right and Steve you can probably talk about this and maybe this is one of your fun topics you're going to talk about it at payroll Palooza with <laughs> with Mike um, but it's you know that just takes some time there's, there's more than one cycle that usually happens with the payroll and you want to test things like retros and things like that that takes time that and, and when I talk when I hear like an eight-week implementation I know that they're really not dealing with the complexities of things like payroll. You're just interfacing that 
things out. You're not actually you know, doing a full-scale implementation. And so I, I think we need to set the expectation that if we're doing a true uh, implementation, soup to nuts, including payroll, that's going to take some time, and you're in, and that's okay. And uh, we shouldn't be uh, looking down upon companies that are taking longer um, in, in order to make sure that they have their processes in place, they've got they, they've eliminated the risk in their payroll environments, and they're and they're really ready to absorb uh, the new solution. So that's that's my rant. Yeah, it sounds like uh, it doesn't sound like a rant to me, Brandon. It just sounds like uh, experience, right? Uh, I, I think that yeah, I learned early on in my consulting career um, after three or four customers. I understood that not every customer can absorb change as quickly as the other, right? Companies have cultures and, and just like people, some people uh, can accept changes faster than others. And, you know, if you have a very top-down structured decision-making environment, that's good for making decisions, right? Um, may not be very good for adoption. If you have more of a... Um, like a shared decision environment, right, or a consensus environment, well, that's good for making decisions that stick and that last, but it's also slower to get those decisions. So there's trade-offs in all of these things. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that, that irks me about uh, the focus on short implementation times is that, um, you know, these systems will be in place probably, what, 10 years at least? I mean, I hope SAP hopes so. And, when you look at most companies, their their HR systems are probably on a 10-year life cycle, plus or minus. Some people go longer. Um, some people go 20 years. So once you put it in, it, it's it's not so easy to change all the time. So it just makes sense to me to, you know, if you need to take a few more months extra at the beginning to really get things done the right way, the, the way you want it, then I think you know, it makes sense to do that, right? And um, you know, just because, you know, you, you benchmark with a couple other companies and they did it faster, it doesn't mean that it's right for you. It's sort of like, you know, raising teenagers just because, you know, those kids get to do it doesn't mean that it's good for you. <laughs> I guess I would give that advice out there, having raised a number of teenagers so far um, who are still alive and doing well. Um, you know, the other thing, I guess, to, to point out is when customers uh, are looking at benchmarking on implementation times, take a look at the scope, right? I mean, I saw at a presentation at a conference, uh, someone gave a presentation. They did, what, 30-some countries in 18 months, um, which I thought was impressive. And, and then they started explaining everything that they didn't do, right? Um, and they didn't do it because they didn't have time, right? So they cut their scope to, to make an implementation deadline and then they had this huge backlog, and they've been working at the backlog for a couple of years. And if that's the approach that you want to go with, then that's fine. I think that's a valid approach, but um, you know, you want to know that going into it, right? You don't want to uh, be surprised, I guess. So that's I've, I've said my piece on that. I'll let you guys go. I don't believe that customers should even be thinking about trying to get something in as fast as they can. There's definitely value to getting quick wins, to, to, to getting uh, quick solutions to challenges that the business is seeing and to gain um, 
you know, to gain to gain some kudos with the business. Um, but I don't think that should come at the expense of properly planning and, and doing proper process design and getting to understand how the system works so that you can build those official, so those efficient processes, and so that you can make sure that you've had time to fully test the system to make sure it actually works for you before you push this thing live, to make sure that you've got your change management communications uh, and planning developed, and to make sure that the system can be properly integrated with whatever the systems you're looking at. And, you know, these things get more complicated. As Brandon rightly said earlier, when you are looking at payroll, for example, and you have to do parallel payroll testing maybe twice, maybe three times, um, you need to put the time aside to do that. And then there's always, in almost every project I've worked on, there's always some kind of slippage. There's always something that gets delayed. And it just it just puts pressure on. And it puts often puts pressure on at the the one or two few times that you already have a lot of pressure on. And so if you have an accelerated timeline, then you're only setting yourself up to have 120 hours of work to be done in a single week at some point mm-hmm. um you, you know you know you know where i'm coming from with that so i think it makes sense for customers to to take their time and i've actually had a couple of instances recently where i've had customers tell me that they want to make the timeline longer um and absolutely i i agree with that um and you know not from a consulting dollars perspective but from the fact that the customer understands they sometimes have trouble locking down decisions that they've got employees in multiple countries. So that means different time zones, different cultures, different language capabilities, um, and different process deviations for compliance um, and regular regulations in those countries. So it, it, they were just honest and just said, look, we're not going to get a core HR and payroll rolled out in, in nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, we need 12 mm-hmm. because we just, we just, we just won't get it done and, and we need to make sure we do it properly. And, and that makes a lot of sense when the customer has that self-realization and honesty of just, just what type of organization they are and where they are um, from a maturity perspective. And they want to, they want to make sure they're mitigating for that. Mm-hmm. So it does, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And I, and I think Steve, you've, you've got um, probably another example as well of, of that, yeah yeah definitely um you know the i've I've seen customers delay projects just because it just doesn't go as fast as what honestly what their consulting si told them so the consulting si says well based on your size and scope 18 months that's the standard um but you know um not everyone is standard and so i think that um it just requires an honest conversation up front when, and I think, I think there's a, a couple of challenges to that. And Brandon, I don't know if you've, if you've come into this, but you know, the, the shorter the project generally, the, the less costly it's going to be. So, you know, consulting proposal might come in and say 18 months and, you know, we can do it in 18 months and, you know, they're not going to sort of present the options, you know, the other options to the customer because they don't want to lose the business by appearing to be slower or more expensive. And maybe that's where part of this is coming from. I don't know. 
I, I guess that's been everything's been said here. Yeah, the the desire to be fast is is clear, um, but it, the companies are so different. Um, just to say, oh, the neighbor did it in four months. So if we don't do it in four months, we fail. Unless you really compared what they had in scope, what their starting position were, what their resource position were, what parallel projects. Uh, you don't know what, what's good and what's bad. So yeah, everybody needs to be looking at their own time and, and, and also not fall for all this other software. They say they can do it in half the time. No, they can't because as, as Brendan said, it's not deploying the software that takes the time. It's, it's the organizational change and the testing and all the things that take the same time for every piece of software that makes up most of the, of the time. I think that we are, Sometimes it's a bit of a downward spiral in in in, in sales ethics. I, I almost say that um, uh, there, there are other vendors who say it can be done so quickly, and then um, uh, others again feel compelled to to follow that and say, yeah, you can do it in four months or three months, whatever comes out of it. Mm -hmm. Well, my topic sort of uh, dovetails into Brandon's. A little bit. We, he mentioned parallel testing, and uh, I wanted to talk about payroll and employee central payroll specifically, I guess, uh, because I'm seeing a ton of interest uh, in the market about employee central payroll as if that's the only option for people. Um, and and it's, it's not the only option. You know, it's a good, it's a good option. You know, uh, we have our good friend Robert Moeller who's leading that team, and, and he's doing a great job with it. It's a good product, and um, they've done a tremendous amount of work to take the standard SAP payroll and add lots of nice functionality all around it to really make it um, a payroll that fits well into Employee Central from a look and feel perspective. Having said that, it's not truly a cloud payroll, and it's uh, you know under the covers, it's still SAP payroll under the covers, um, which is good and bad. It's it's good because it's proven and there are people who know what to do with it. It's bad because it's not um, a cloud architecture. It's not a SaaS architecture and it's um, a different architecture, in fact, from Employee Central. So there's a lot of things that have to go on in an implementation behind the scenes to match up uh, Employee Central payroll to Employee Central because, for example, even though we have point-to-point -point integration, the two data models are different. You know, um, there's always going to be work in matching up the data models between the the two systems, and that takes work. Um, it's not always just a plug-and-play. Um, customers need to remember that, you know, it's not in the same instance as their Employee Central and SuccessFactors instances. So when you're doing uh, an instance refresh, for example. Um, you've got to do it twice. You have, you have one method for doing it for Employee Central, another for Employee Central Payroll. Now, I've heard that that's going to get easier in the future, but that's in the future. That's not now. Um, Brandon, like he said, is still payroll, and you still need a two- or three-month parallel test. Um, you know, if, if you're sort of lifting and shifting your functionality from SAP's payroll into Employee Central Payroll, you can probably get away with two parallel tests in a two-month time frame because you're not building everything from scratch. There's an awful lot you can reuse from your on-prem payroll. Um, 
having said that, if your on-prem payroll sucks, you're not going to make it a lot better by just moving it into employee central payroll. Um, you know, we have some customers that we've worked with and we're looking at a sizable amount of effort to improve their payroll at the same time we move it to employee central payroll um, because it was put in 20 years ago or it was put in 10 years ago and it was a terrible implementation. So, um, you know, that's something to, to keep in mind if you're going to lift and shift from your on-premise payroll to SAP's employee central payroll. Um, yeah, if, if it sucks in, in SAP on-prem, you're, you're not going to make it a whole lot better in employee central payroll. Yeah, and just, you know, one of the other things I want to mention is, you know, the consulting skill set for employee central payroll is, you know, it's everything that you would look for in, a, in an SAP payroll consultant plus, you know, these touch points with Employee Central, right? Um, you have the Payroll Control Center, which is, is new, and you have the point-to-point -point integration. You have additional functionality for the U.S. at least with uh, additional functionality from BSI. So, you know, there are some additional things there to look for. Um, they're not huge. They're not huge, so uh, I wouldn't read a whole lot into that, but just, uh, you know, understand that you do have some additional skill sets there. Um, and really just, I would just caution people to take a look and see, you know, is it really um, going to be beneficial for you to make that move now or, um, you know, due to resource constraints or whatever, maybe it would be better to do it in a couple of years. You know, you could put Employee Central in now and integrate to your on-prem payroll and you could take it to Employee Central payroll in a couple of years. Or who knows, maybe in a couple of years, SAP will announce, um, you know, their true cloud payroll, um, which we, you know, I was hoping that they would do that by now, but they haven't. And so I think they've really put customers into a bind here. Um, but, you know, with the end of maintenance for R3 coming in 2025, which I was betting that would be extended, but um, can't count on that. But with the end of R3 coming in 2025 um, and probably four or 5,000 customers left on SAP's on-prem payroll, um, there's a lot of anxiety there in the market about, you know, just what to do with all of this. So, yeah, that's that's my take on Employee Central Payroll. I don't know what you guys think about that, but um, I think it's uh, a lot of anxiety there. There's a lot of, there are some reasons to move to Employee Central Payroll, but I think uh, overall I'm hoping that, you know, SAP can sort of um, decrease the anxiety in the customer base maybe a little bit by, um being maybe a little bit more clear about their roadmap would be nice. So, so I think with payroll, um, yeah, you know, with, with, with employee central payroll, there's no um, end of maintenance life, which is, which is good. Mm -hmm. um, but as we know, for, uh, and as, and as you've, you've just talked about um, somewhat, there's not always a business case to move your on-premise payroll to employee central payroll, given, you know, the similarity in, in the functionality and the, the cost to move over. Now there are instances where there's there's a good business case for you to rework your payroll processes, um, and 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 do do some um, transformation of payroll. Um, but I think customers still maybe and uh, are are not looking to move from one legacy technology onto what is essentially still a legacy technology stack. Yeah. Even even if it is the best payroll technology stack 
um, available. So you know, we know, I think there's been some talk and some rumors um, and whatnot of um, a new cloud payroll from SAP. And I think that that would be the solution to the challenges that um, uh, maybe some customers have because a new technology that's going to be available for maybe 20, 30 years. Um, although that's bold trying to, to make a, a statement like that, given how fast technology is moving along mm -hmm. these days. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you may see this new engine come in and be available for a long time, um, reduce the price of implementation, reduce the effort, create more reusable components, and, and maybe even enable customers to do more self-implementation mm -hmm. of, um, of payroll. So that could really be, um, to, to use an overused phrase, a game changer in the payroll space. Um, because just because having, having new innovative technology coupled with a simpler and more rapid implementation timeline and therefore lower cost definitely gives a much greater ROI to customers who want to move um, their payroll away from uh, a legacy technology and into something more modern and beneficial for them. True. It's a meaty topic to be sure. And, and I will say, I will say two things. First um, thing I'll say is yes, do keep in mind that this is a, a, an SAP managed payroll that they are optimizing as best they can uh, to, to work well with EC. And they've done a great job trying to do that. I mean, yeah. but it is at the end of the day, you're talking about taking things that exist in one model and we're, and we're not really uh, initially built in such a way that with with an SAP payroll in mind and turning around and using some wizardry on the way into SAP to basically take that all that data, all that history, every time that you run that, it's going through all that history, reprocessing it and trying to interpret it in, in SAP ABAP uh, infotype terms. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot going on there. And, and again, kudos to the team for doing that. Um, that that's point one. And then the, the point two uh, is something else that you touched on, which is the, the skill set that you need in order to do EC payroll. Um, the, the thing to keep in mind there, uh, don't worry about the two first two letters in that, um, the EC. You really need to worry about the payroll. Get a good payroll resource. Um, they can probably pick up some of the replication things. Now, in a perfect world, you'll get somebody that can understand the replication. Maybe that's an EC person. I do a lot of the replication pieces of it, but but I, I did hear um, uh, somebody talking about that, that uh, there was a consultant, there was an EC consultant trying to say, I'll do your EC payroll implementation. And that's where I'm just like, I can't believe that, that anyone would be uh, wanting to do that because that's, that's a completely different skill set. So make sure um, that when you're staffing your project, um, Find a good payroll person in, in for the EC payroll implementation, and then you can figure out the replication piece. But the payroll is, at the end of the day, the, the EC payroll is SAP payroll, and you want a good SAP payroll resource to do it. Mm -hmm. I guess we, we all struggle with, with uh, making this business case for, for sub-on-premise customers. So most customers we see adopting it uh, don't come from SAP, and then a big part of the business case is Regards, you, you get the best global payroll there is. Um, but the sub-on-premise customers, they say, well, we already have the best global payroll there is. So I understand that for them, the, the only business case for them really is if payroll is the last thing living mm -hmm. on that 
on-premise box and they can switch it off. That's that's a case. But if there's something else living on there, even after payroll, it's a very difficult case to make. I can only agree with this. Uh, and maybe adding to Brendan's last point, I think that's um, that's possibly one of the uh, first uh, points where these projects go wrong if if the skill sets that are required are not understood. Um, yeah, if you have a, a, the best EC consultant in the world who's never done payroll and, and then tells them, I do your EC payroll, it's going to fail. The, the good thing is it's going to fail so early that you probably just see it quick enough. It's not only happening on go live day. Yeah, um, yeah. But the other thing is that sometimes customers are looking for an EC payroll consultant in the US and one in Canada and one in Portugal and one in Germany, one in Russia, one in Singapore. You don't, you don't need that. You need payroll consultants in all those countries and you need one guy who can do the P2P uh, data uh, replication. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's not, obviously the, the, the data that goes through it is, is localized, uh, but it's not a skill set that needs to be localized for every country. So, so there are, some make it to simple, I think, in terms of the resources they need. But then there are also others, particularly recruiting agencies, who think that, are oh, great, we can actually get twice the resources sold um, that, that make it more difficult than it's got to be. For sure. Yeah, some of those things have been uh, the case for a long time. So, well, guys, thanks for your conversation. I'm going to wrap this up here. I think it's been good. We've had a pretty diverse conversations, Finn. So we've had some diversity in here as far as topics go. Um, and I've enjoyed it. Hopefully the listeners have enjoyed it too. Um, encourage listeners to give us some feedback at the insightcp.com slash insights page. Um, let us know what you think. If you want us to talk about certain topics in the future too, we're open to that. So um, Luke and Brandon, Sven, thanks. Thanks for the time. I've enjoyed it. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Right, Steve. I, I can already see some feedback coming that we've been talking about diversity in <laughs> four middle-aged white men. <laughs> I, know. I was worried about Bring that. Bring it on, we yeah. deserve it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair point. Have a good one, guys. All right. Thank Take you. care, man. Thanks.